1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 1, and I'm going to read to you from verse number 18. Verse number 18. I feel today that the Lord has a word for us, and uh, I want him to help us. I want him to touch every heart and every life that's in this place. Amen. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. What's it say it is? It's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You can kind of begin to see the context coming into play. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, by their knowledge, they did not know God. No matter how wise they were, if they did not know God, all of their wisdom was irrelevant. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. and The Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we, who are we? The body of Christ. We preach Christ crucified. That's our message. Now, unto the Jews, it's a stumbling block because they don't believe that he is the Christ. Unto the Greeks, it's too elementary for them. Their academia is greater in their minds than what Christ did on the cross. But to them which are called, somebody say, that's me both Jews and Greeks. Not every Jew is a stumbling block and not every Greek lacks the wisdom and understanding. Those of us that are called. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I love this verse. Because the foolishness of God... <laughs> The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. The world does not understand why we love him the way we do. And to them it may be foolishness. But I am forever thankful today for foolishness. Amen. I want to preach to you today about foolishness. And you may be seated in Jesus' mighty name. It feels so good in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you. God's going to speak to us in this house. I believe it. Let us take a look today at the word of God. The context of this chapter and this letter is so important to me. The Apostle Paul founded the first century church at Corinth in Acts the 18th chapter on his second missionary journey. Now, some historians would say, and many would agree, that there was no city that ever needed the gospel any more than Corinth. 
Vice was rampant in Corinth. The city was a huge commercial metropolis and the hotbed of pagan religious beliefs and practices. To give you some sense of understanding of how decadent, dissolute, and promiscuous the city was, let me introduce you to a small preview window of the mindset and the ways of thinking of the Corinthians. There was in the Greek language a verb that is Corinthiazomai. It means very simply to act like a Corinthian. Corinthiazomai became the most popular description in the known world for anyone who lived a life of debauchery and excess. Paul stayed at Corinth teaching these fledging and underdeveloped converts for about a year and a half, which to the best of my knowledge is the longest he stayed anywhere besides Ephesus. It was something that weighed very heavy on the mind and the heart of the great apostle Paul who felt it necessary to spend a year and a half of his life investing in a people who he felt like needed a word from God. Yet despite such extensive apostolic investment and involvement, Paul received word just a few short years later that the church at Corinth was in trouble. It's a heavy weight on the mind of a man of God that has preached and given Yet you feel like perhaps it's in vain. Because you have preached does not mean they have to respond. Because you have studied does not mean they have to receive. Because you have given yourself to the word of God does not mean that their spirit is in agreement with the spirit of God. And so Paul begins to address their disagreements, their sexual deviance, their doctrinal confusion... Because it had all sprung up within the body and was becoming more evident and prevalent by the day. So Paul, being prompted by the Holy Ghost, writes a letter to the immature and immoral children of the faith that he had done his very best for a year and a half to make disciples and followers after Jesus Christ. He wrote them a letter of chastisement and correction, doing his best to somehow answer the specific questions which they had posed and above all, he challenged them to grow in grace and holiness. So we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and the apostle begins his letter to the troubled church at Corinth by laying a foundation of structure and understanding, biblical authority. He lays down a letter that tells them of his apostolic authority and their responsibility, highlighting that both of their callings are vitally important to the kingdom of God, that he, Paul, was called to be an apostle, but that the Corinthians were called to be saints. I think sometimes it's easy for us to shift the pressure and the weight to the pulpit because we believe that our pastor has been called to pastor. At least I hope you do. But I think sometimes what Paul was reminding them of, we forget in the 21st century church that your pastor is not the only one that has been called in this church. You as well have a calling in your heart, in your mind, and on your life. That while I am called to preach this gospel and to live this gospel, you have been called to receive this gospel and to live this gospel. We have come to a place where I believe it's time for divine interruption. That the gospel is not for the sake of inspiration. I don't need to be inspired by the cross of Calvary. Forgive me if that 
causes sparks on the tip of your sword. Calvary is not for my inspiration. Calvary is for my salvation. He did not go to the cross of Calvary after he robed himself in flesh so that we could sit in the house of God on a Sunday morning and be inspired by a message of the cross. I don't need him to inspire me today. I want him and I invite him to change me today. I invite the Spirit of God to search out my heart and search out my soul. I invite him today as did the psalmist to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I invite him today. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit church I tell you today that we are walking on dangerous ground when the gospel has become a place of inspiration for us I don't need to be inspired I need to be changed I feel you must understand today, and I pray that it's of no question as to whether or not we try to do our best to be first class in everything that we do. We want you to be inspired and want to come back and be in the house of God. We want you to enjoy the music and to worship with the music. And they work so very hard on a weekly basis to put our best foot forward. We want the house of God to be clean and nice and tidy and beautiful and We want it to look so good. We want the grass to be manicured and we want flowers to be planted and people do that. I'm not a green thumb, so pastor's not the flower guy, okay? But we want all of that to be beautiful. Why do we do that? Because we want you to be inspired to be in the house of God. We want you to come to the house of God. But I'm afraid that instead of it just being part of who we are and something that we put out there, that rather it has become our mantra. That if people are not impressed and if people are not inspired, then we are absolutely not doing our job. Listen to pastor today. I want to tell you that I'm thankful for a sound system. I want to tell you that I'm thankful for comfortable pews. I want to tell you that I'm grateful for air conditioner. Thank God for that. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you today that I'm grateful for a beautiful place that we have come to have church. I thank God for technology. I thank God for those that have joined us today by way of the web on our webcast. I thank God for all of the instruments that we have. But can I tell you today that if all of that falls apart and the electrical grid goes down and we no longer have cameras and we no longer have air conditioning and if we've got to sit on the concrete floor, come on somebody, and if we've got to sit on concrete, concrete blocks Oh, no, 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 pastor. We've got to have a beautiful place. Can I tell you that the Holy Ghost has fallen under many brush harbors. The Holy Ghost has fallen where the floor was not concrete but rather sawdust because there was mud on the ground after a great rain had come through. It's not about the beauty of the palace. It's not about the beauty of the building. It's about the presence of the king. There's something amazing to me about uh, the scripture. And I think if you just read the story real quickly, the focus becomes on the power of King Solomon. But the Bible said that King, the Queen of Sheba came to see him and the beauty. And we've heard about the beauty of the palace and all the things that was, was, was stored up, the treasures that they had in the kingdom of Israel, all the things that David had stored up, all of the amazing riches that they had to this day, Jerusalem being called the city of David. He was well-loved king, still very well-loved, been to his tomb. His son Solomon was a very powerful king and ruler in the earth. That's why he had so many wives, because literally kings from all over the earth wanted him to be connected to them. He was a very powerful man, perhaps the most powerful king that has ever lived in the earth. It's, it's arguably that it could have been Solomon, a very, very powerful king. But when the queen of Sheba came to see him and to behold the way that he worked. She was not the only royal that came to visit with Solomon. 
She was one of many royals that came to visit with Solomon. But she was amazed by the beauty of the palace. She was amazed by the beauty of the house of God. But the scripture tells us that when she saw the way that he ascended into the house of God, that there was no life left in her, that she fainted, that her spirit left her. And when you look at that, you can, you can think at first perhaps that she was looking at King Solomon and oh my goodness, how beautiful he is, how beautiful. Look at the way that he worships. But can I tell you that I believe that underlying under this right here is not that she was just astounded by how beautiful the house of God was or even the way that he worshiped, but rather knowing that there was something so powerful that all of the kings of the earth wanted to come and see Solomon and to be with Solomon and to see how Solomon did his business. But knowing that there was a power that was so much greater than Solomon that when she looked at the way Solomon ascended, she said, oh my word, the greatest king in the earth right now. But even he knows that there's something greater than him and must be something that must be bowed down to can I tell you today that until the world looks at us and they don't just see us but they see what's beyond us and they see who we worship and, oh my 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 I don't care if the world knows my name. I don't care if the world knows my ministry. I don't care if I'm ever in the spotlight. I don't care if I'm ever on television cameras. I want to tell you that people have got to look at my life and see beyond who I am and know this God of whom I preach. Oh my. So he confronts them and he tells them of course I am called to be an apostle but you you are called to be saints he then confronts them the Corinthian believers about their divisions in the church especially those caused by spiritual elitism it's a very dangerous spirit that if it's not conquered it will be the conqueror. We believe that Corinthians was written somewhere around 54 to 56 AD. So, with that understanding, Jesus Christ has been gone for about 20 years. 22, 23, 24, 25, somewhere in there. Jesus has been gone. Now think about this. The greatest king of kings and lord of lords of whom they preach. Yet somehow his redemption was not enough to keep a spirit of spiritual elitism out of the church. That you Corinthians deserved what he did so much that you have a right to look down your nose at everybody else and tell them how undeserving they are. See, I'm already preaching and some of you have missed it. Can I tell you today that the Spirit of God is working in the body of Christ in this hour trying to remind us again that Calvary was not about what I deserve. I know it's easy for those of us that have been dressing up for a little while now. Got our act together now. Got our tie just right. Got our slacks pressed just right. Got our boots shined just right. To look down our nose at those who are less fortunate. And say to them they don't deserve the grace that I have working in my life. But Paul said you've got to guard your spirit against spiritual elitism. Because if it was about what you deserved, there's not one of us that would be in the house of God today. I'm grateful to stand before you and tell you I'm thankful for the grace of God. Rusty Goodman. Said it as well as any songwriter has ever said it in telling the story. Just suppose God searched through heaven and could not find one that was willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed to buy 
eternal life for you and me. The course goes on to say, had it not been for a hill called Mount Calvary, and had it not been for the old rugged cross, and had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. May we never get so saved that we forget what it feels like to be lost. I am saved from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm a bona fide, one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling believer. You hear me today? I believe in singing and shouting and dancing and stomping and clapping. I thank God for all of that. And I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. But hear my story. We better never forget how good God has been to us. I'm afraid somewhere we have missed the mark. If our holiness becomes about showing the world how high we are and how low they are. Oh, I want to preach on Sunday morning right now. In, in arguably one of the most controversial moments of the ministry of Jesus Christ, he sits down at the well with a woman who was an adulterer, a fornicator, a pitiful cause could not keep a family together, had been with five different husbands, and the man that she was with was apparently another woman's husband at the time because he said the one that you're with is not your own. Yet when his disciples came with him there to the well, the scripture said that he sent them into the city to get something for lunch. Now, folks, let's just use our logic right here. When was the last time that you sent 12 people to get lunch for 13 people? That's a big lunch. If there's 12 people in my kitchen, there's too many. He said, I want all of you to go get lunch. Why? I want to tell you why. It's my opinion. I want to tell you why I believe he did it that way. Because of the questions that was on the mind of that woman. If they were on her mind, then they were going to be on the mind of the disciples. Jesus starts a conversation, and she goes, uh, do you know who you're talking to? And Jesus said, yes, but you don't know who's talking to you. <laughs> and then he sat down and proceeded to tell her, you're a filthy dog. You don't deserve righteousness. You don't deserve goodness. You don't deserve mercy. <laughs> Your life's so jacked up, nobody's ever going to believe in you. You know, believe it or not, I've heard it preached just about that strong. At some point in our lives, we're going to have to realize that even as good as he makes some of us, our righteousness, come on, preach at me. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Some say that that's our excuse to not be righteous. It's foolishness. That's not the scripture at all. He's not saying that your righteousness is filthy rags, so don't attempt it. What it's saying is that you can't be righteous enough to not be filthy compared to his goodness. He's saying what you need to understand is that in your most righteous state, you still have got to remember how good I've been to you. Oh, I want to help somebody this morning. Quit letting the devil tell you that because you've been imperfect, that God has given up on you. You've got to try your best. Come on, get in the church. Live for God with all you've got. But don't let him lie to you and keep you out because you're a human.
Oh, my, my. Spiritual elitism is a poison that runs through people's veins and it manifests in their mouth. When they say things like, don't tell anybody else this. I always get really uncomfortable when the conversation starts with, now I haven't told anybody this, but I want to tell you. And at that moment, I begin to weigh and judge my response because I know however I respond to what they haven't told anybody else, they're going to tell everybody else how I responded to what they told. God bless you. You are dismissed. (laughs) I know some of you wish you really were right now because it's a little tight up in here. You can feel it. It's amazing to me how we live in the 21st century and we're still trying to figure out that his Jewish blood was not just for Anglo-Saxons. That's all right. Don't y'all be running right now, okay? You can be seated. His blood was for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. I'm declaring to you today that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to wash away the sin of the white man, of the black man, of the Hispanic man. His blood is powerful enough. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about how we clap about it. I'm talking about what's really in our heart. How do we really feel about it? Are we just like Acts chapter 10 when they were surprised that the Gentiles deserve the Holy Ghost? You can see the spiritual elitism in Acts chapter 10. It said, oh my word, we're shocked that the Gentiles have the same spirit falling on them that fell on us. Woo. Be seated. It's difficult for us to pray out of the world what's stuck in our hearts. Somebody either say amen or owe me. Because somebody don't make as much money as you think they should. Because they ride a bicycle to church instead of a Cadillac. I feel like preaching. I hope y'all are going with me today. I know you enjoyed your filet mignon last night, but somebody was excited to get ramen. Is this all right, guys? Y'all got me this morning? Be my escort out of here today? I know. I know that they don't understand the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob like we do. And in their mind, they call their God Allah. But I want to tell you that the blood of Calvary is powerful enough. Man, I felt an angel come in here right then. You can tell when you're dealing with a prevalent spirit in the atmosphere because reinforcements come. I want to tell you this morning that I'm glad to report to you, hear me, that in the house of royalty in Middle Eastern countries, I have firsthand, firsthand, I did not hear this from the, 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 from the mulberry bush. I've got firsthand, firsthand knowledge that in the house of royalty in the Middle East, 
that there has been, and I can't tell you its nation because we're on video, but I can tell you that it's nobody that we have missionaries in that country, so you can start deciding of who it's not. But in the house of royalty, in the royal palace, we have had apostolic Jesus' name church meetings because God had an Esther experience lined up with someone who is in the royal family who got the revelation of who God is and invited a friend of mine to come into the royal house and there Acts 2.38 and this one God Jesus name message was preached can I tell you spiritual elitist something today I pray we baptize more Muslims than you've ever dreamed in your life I want to be super, super careful how I say this. I will tell you this. It is not the commander in chief. But I received word the other day, several months ago, and we've been very careful how we guarded it, but it was before this pandemic, that there was Bible study given to one of the most powerful men in the United States of America. And he was of a different belief system, but he has been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of his sins. I'll tell you this. It's not the president, but he's awful close to the president's ear. All I'm saying to you is, don't give up on God in this last day because it looks perilous. I feel like letting you know our greatest revivals are not behind us. Our greatest revivals are in front of us. And we're going to see it shake from the schoolhouse to the White House to the church house. It's time for revival. We've got to get over what we deserve and what they deserve. It's time for revival. We need a move of God. We need a move of God. seatbelts on and if it gets turbulent we lose cabin pressure reach up and grab your oxygen mask because I want to tell you a little something today folks listen to pastor let me tell you that revival is not going to come to the pastor and the church that want the most credit for what's going on go ahead count them out discount them Wash them off. Get them off your list and say, they're not going to have revival. They don't want it. You know what? We're really quick to judge character. Because that spiritual elitist spirit, it, it manifests on the tip of our tongue. But what we've got to realize is that once that leaves your mouth, you can never get it back. Are y'all tired yet? Once that's spoken into the atmosphere, it's still traveling. It's still, it's still in the air. And it does you no good to put it under the blood when you keep spitting it out. This is close, isn't it, Brother Haney? I don't know if I've ever preached this close to y'all. I kind of like this. I like it. Everybody's like, oh, no. Here he comes. Oh, yes. I'm coming to you. Coming to a pew near you. Kids, get your toys off the floor right now. When I speak that... I know everybody's worried about airborne corona. I'm worried about airborne spirits. Airborne words. Have you ever noticed 
how when the judgment's coming against me, I don't want it to be of God, I want it to be of people. Like, that's your opinion, it don't matter, that's not God's word. But then when I'm ready to cast my judgment towards somebody else, well, that's just a judgment of God against them. Well, boy, we're awful good with that, you know? It's crazy to me how much boldness we get to speak for God. Pastor, why are you preaching on this on Sunday morning? Because I'm trying to get you to understand why Paul was addressing this in the spirit at the church at Corinth. The Messiah had only been gone for less than 25 years from the earth. And they were already saying that we are better than the Jew and the Greek because of what? Because of what? What, what have you done? Because of grace? You easily forget what a mess you were when grace came knocking on your door. Man, I wish y'all could feel what I feel up here right now. When mercy came knocking on your house. I'm so glad he doesn't remind me every day of what I could have been. But I can never forget that if it wasn't for his grace and his mercy, I'd be lost. So the apostle, go, go, go look for yourself. He points out to them the obvious. But this is really not about you. Everything in God's plan centers on Christ and his crucifixion. And he says to them, this message to the academic is going to seem like foolishness. And to some, it's going to seem like it's heresy. It's going to be a stumbling block to them. They're not going to understand exactly what we're saying. He said, but don't you let the people that stumble on it keep you from walking in it. Oh, man, I just preached right there. He said to them, it is a stumbling block. And to the Greek, it is foolishness. But to you, it is the power of God. He said what they're stumbling on, you're walking in. Don't let them stumble you up because they keep stumbling. You've got to get a hold of the grace that has been given to you and walk in the power and the authority of the message of Christ and him crucified. Uh, I'm going to get pretty intentional right here with what I'm about to say and it's probably going to get grossly intense for just a moment. So if you're uncomfortable, you can buy me a cheeseburger and we'll make it happen. We just can't sit together if there's more than six of us. I want to talk to you, church. I want to talk to somebody that's listening today that's struggling with doubt in your mind. The atheists say, how can you believe in him? You haven't seen him. And so I'm looking at this world. Whether you agree or disagree with it, whatever... This is not a time for that discussion. But you do realize that we're coming out of, but have been in the middle of, a global pandemic where everybody was afraid, lived in fear, and stayed in their house over something that none of them have ever seen. None of them. I mean, I'll repent if I'm lying. Anybody in here been, been in the lab and seen the coronavirus on a microscope? Anybody? No? So then why'd you stay home? Let me tell you why. Because you saw the effects of the invisible. 
You have seen what an invisible force can manifest. Do you know why some people still are doubting and wondering in our lives why we believe in him because we can't see him? It makes me wonder if they've seen the effects of the invisible in my life. Here's what you need to know. If you still talk like you used to talk and act like you used to act and go where you used to go and live how you used to live, it's no wonder. How do you know, Pastor? How do you know? Because I've tried him. I've tasted of his goodness. I have tasted of his mercy. I realize if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. Have you ever seen him? No, I've never seen him. But I've seen him when I lay my hands on a sick child. And the fever on their brow begins to break. I've seen him in the middle of a storm. When we called on his name. And the storm turned and went back out to the ocean. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and waves obey him. What man? What manner of man is this that can take a drug addict and dry it up right now? What manner of man is this that can take a crack addict and take the taste out of his mouth? What manner of man is this that can take an alcoholic and make him put down the bottle and never touch it again? What manner of man is this that can take a broken family that the judge already ordered the divorce, but the Holy Ghost said, I'm not done yet. Somebody ought to shout. If you're wondering why I'm crazy about an invisible God, it's because he has affected me. I will never be the same. Stay I'm about done preaching. I'm, I'm about done. Everybody not just turned upside down about a virus. Every one of you. You watch these crazy kids. They walk into a place and they see a sign that says free Wi-Fi. So they connect to it. Anybody in here ever seen Wi-Fi? No? Just, just stay with me right here. I can connect to Wi-Fi right here. And in .02 seconds... Send a text to a pastor in the Philippines. Now, y'all think this is the amazement of Verizon and AT&T. I'm telling you that since the first century, we've been believing in wireless technology. Because I believe that from this room right now, we can pray a prayer and it'll go to a hospital room. You can pray a prayer over a backslidden child of yours. Whoa, somebody help me this morning. I don't believe in things I can't see. Then throw your cell phone in the trash. You live by the invisible. You live by wireless technology. And and now we get frustrated when it's got a cord on it. Y'all just think I'm, y'all don't think I'm old school. My papa had a rotodial phone in his office. It took forever to call somebody. Come on, somebody. Name your five closest friends' phone numbers. You can't do it because you got them on speed dial. I'm not kidding you. I don't know people's phone numbers. It's just on my speed dial. And some of us making it so difficult 
while we're still tied down and tethered to something that's trying to destroy us and wireless technology is saying, come on, just break free. See, you're trying to figure out how this works. I'm about to go old-fashioned on you right here. How you can take a black heart, wash it in red blood, make it white as snow. I don't know. How's a black cow eat green grass, make white milk? I don't know. Go figure all that out. All I can tell you is when it comes to all that, I don't have an answer, but I'm sure glad it works. And I don't know why he never gave up on me. I don't know why he never... Oh, I feel like preaching. I don't know why he never stopped believing in me. I don't know why he shed his blood for me, but I'm so glad he did. I don't know why he kept believing in the church when they turned their back on him, but I'm so glad he did. I don't know why he met us here this morning, but I'm so glad. I'm I'm closing. To them which are called both Jews and Greeks. It is the power of God. Watch this. Because the foolishness of God. Somebody say foolishness. That was one of my father-in-law's favorite words. When the girls would act foolish. Would you stop acting foolish? Foolishness. Foolishness. You Christians are foolish. (laughs) Look, let's deal with the elephant. I'm I'm about done preaching. I'm, I'm finished. Let's just deal with the elephant in the room. Why are you people so desperate to get back to the house of God? That's foolish. I mean, my God. The church is not a building. You're acting foolish. Till you walk up in here. place like daddy's house the foolishness of God is wiser than men I'm going to be criticized by some if you don't take my spirit right but I'm hearing everybody say trust science trust science trust science trust science and this is the same scientists that say if a little boy wants to be a little girl he can It's the same science that says it's not a human being. It's a clump of cells. And the Lord told Jeremiah, when you were just a clump of cells, I knew you in your mother's womb. You know what? I believe there's scientific proof. There's evidence that we have been in a terrible sickness. It's there. But there is scientific proof that scientists in general hate the ways of God. And they think that they're the wisest in the earth. You're going to think I'm being contrary right here. But science said the first week of April there would be 250,000 dead in the U.S. The first week of April there were 18,000 dead in the U.S. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying scientists know what they're talking about. But they don't sit on that throne. And if you think for one moment that it's going to be science that carries us between now and the coming of the Lord, you've missed it. Because what scientists may not realize 
is that the final answer has already been given. You people are foolish, but the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom. It's just a book, Pastor. I know you can't see it, but this is a living, moving, breathing organism. I was laying in bed one night, little boy with my mom. I was a little kid. My dad was out of town. I was laying in bed with my mom. I was just a teenager. I fell asleep. My mom was reading her Bible. And Sister Shelly, my mom finished her Bible reading, closed the Bible like that, and went to lay her Bible down. And when she closed it, I sat up in the bed. And I said, what in the world was that? She said, what in the world, honey? What's wrong? I said, what just happened in here? She said, what do you mean what just happened? I said, Mom, there was a flash of light and a bolt that just came through this room and woke me up. What just happened? She said, I just closed my Bible. What? It's leather, Pastor. It's pulp wood, ground up, turned into paper. No, no, no. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. And this morning, people may call us foolish, But I'm looking at this old black bound cover book right here. And I'm declaring in the name of Jesus. I will not be afraid of what this world can do to me. Because greater is he that is in me. Somebody ought to preach that right there. Than he that's in the world. It's foolishness. But if you could only hear the testimonies of the people that are sitting in this house this morning, it wouldn't seem so foolish to you. Because some of these folks, God got them off of skid row. Some of them were headed to death row. And some of them, he just had to go to the back row. But when he found you, he picked you up. Oh, And he turned you around and he set your feet on solid ground. He established you going. He ordered your steps. You're in the house of God this morning. The world looks at us and said, you're foolish. It's too early to go back to church. And we said, but we got to get in the presence of God. 